Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And it's back. And boy, is the NFL back with a bang. Surprise, mystery, intrigue to follow. First, a mandatory review of this year's week one that gave us literally everything we ever wanted. Second, how I was totally right about Marcus Mariota, and how John was totally wrong about Jameis Winston. Third, if you don't have a rookie tight end, well, by golly, you're just not doing it right. Welcome to the 4th and 5 NFL Podcast. Alrighty, folks, this is the 4th and 5 NFL podcast. I'm your conniving, manipulative host, Dylan Baker, with the much more gentle giant in journalist and analyst, Jonathan Harding. His 6'5 to my 5'10 is indeed gigantic. Each week, we take a look at all the happenings in the National Football League and bring you the highlights from around the country. On and off the pitch, we'll keep you informed and entertained. So turn off your live TVs with videos and people who are paid to do this sort of thing, and let's get started. Johnny boy, how's it going? I'm doing well, mate. We have come off an, an unexpected win, so I can only be in, in good spirits. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And to call against them, woo, we'll get into that yeah, well, here in a little bit. Hey, <laughs> yeah. was, was say, we'll get into it later, but there were plenty of reasons why that was a good call on paper. To be fair, to be fair, who could have known that Kaepernick was indeed not a crap thrower? But again, <laughs> on to that later. So I want to get started. From the off with the Thursday night season opener, Steelers versus the, versus the Patriots. A correct call by me in a Patriots win, as heartbreaking indeed as that was. But the offense showed it is indeed quite a bit one of the premier offenses, uh, excuse me, offensive units in, in the league. Did you, did you get that same kind of feeling, John? Yeah, but I mean, you're always going to go into this game with a little bit of fear, I suppose. Uh, Tom Brady, Patriots, all that's going on in the offseason. But even away from that, they're, they're an intimidating team. So I thought the Steelers gave a good account of themselves. And we talked about it after the game as well. I mean, 
no Le'Veon Bell, but Williams stepped up. You know, I, I thought he had a really good game. Um, I think it's a case for the Steelers that they've got one side of the ball sorted. You know, uh, the, Roethlisberger is still obviously the man. Brown still had a good game. But you've got to get the defensive side right if you're going to have a complete performance. And even even that uh, will not necessarily always be enough to beat the Patriots. So one side of the ball was good. Uh, question marks about the other, but I'm sure you knew that going into the game, right? Yeah, well, and, it, and it's it's just it's strange to look at a Steelers team and, and think that it's the offensive side of the ball that's been sorted. But really, I mean, one of the things that that I picked up on was that the the Pittsburgh Steelers showed that they do indeed have depth in their offensive unit. You know, you've got Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown, of course, the big names, but the offensive line protected Ben Roethlisberger better than better than I've seen in a couple of years. You're absolutely right on the D'Angelo Williams shout. He comes in, rushes for over 100 yards, and shows that, you know, at least as a backup, he's not a bad guy to rely on. And with Martavis Bryant, Ben Roethlisberger's big, tall receiver that he usually likes to target in the end zone, you know, Marcus Wheaton steps up, has a bit of a quiet game, but shows the kind of talent that you want to see out of that wide receiver three whenever he needs to step up into the second receiver position. But again, on the defensive side of the ball, I know we talked about it in the AFC North preview podcast, but you know, a little on the a little on the shaky side, there were a couple of uh there were a couple of mismatches and question marks that uh that kind of became a lot worse than what we thought, specifically talking about Gronkowski's second touchdown, completely un completely unmarked has has no guy on him. Uh is is there any sort of excuse as far as newness or inexperience that you might be able to give this Steelers team? Well, you can certainly put a, a case forward to suggest that inexperience would give some nerves, you know, would make these guys a little bit more nervous going into this kind of game and obviously maybe being a bit intimidated by Tom Brady. But that doesn't really allow or give any valid reason that you would not have at least two men on Gronkowski. It's not like he's not an unknown quantity. This guy, you know, could be a linebacker. You know, if you're going to if you're going to line up a corner or a safety on him, then He's going to have to be quick and he's going to have to be physical. He's going to have to reread. He's going to have to pre-read, sorry, the throw, or he's going to have to be in a better position. I think not to have a double team on him was just a really, really bad idea. Um, and I don't think that's down to inexperience. I think that's just down to bad play calling, really. I'm sorry to say. No, we need to get uh, we need to get Jimmy Graham in the team to start playing a little bit of cornerback on Gronkowski, seemingly the only guy in the league that has both the speed and the height to battle with a guy like that. Uh, <laughs> again, you know, we kind of had our, our, our questions answered in this week one game, Steelers versus Patriots. Tom Brady is indeed back, and rightfully so. The Steelers going to have an interesting little season going forward, but good notes on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, next up, perhaps the biggest shock of the weekend, uh, the Indianapolis Colts fall to Buffalo Bills, 27-14 to in western New York. As much as we hyped up the Colts this preseason, John, was there any expecting this? Was there any semblance at all that this was going to end up being the result? No, not at all. I think everybody this weekend would have probably said that this was the result that nobody expected. This was, or I can't imagine there was a bigger shock this weekend. You know, the Bills have obviously loaded up um, on offense this this off season, and we and we knew that coming into the game. But I mean, I was one of these people. You, we all sort of shared the same belief that Andrew Luck was coming closer and closer to a Super Bowl, and maybe this year was his year. Um, you know, you don't bring in an experienced running back like Frank Gore and think that they're going to have a stuttering start against against the Bills but you know what Rex Ryan obviously knows what's up and he knows how to, how to get in people's faces and he's been around a lot longer than Luck so 
26 splits, this is obviously the way to go. Uh, it's a ballsy call, to be honest with you, because a lot of those can go wrong. Um, but you've got to have, give some respect to the Bills' defense. We we talked about the offensive weapons that they had in LaShawn McCoy and Sammy Watkins, and obviously Woods is stepping up in this game as well. But Percy Harvin, that catch from Tyrod Taylor, we could talk about Tyrod Taylor, or you know, we probably did give a whole podcast to him, to be honest with you, because he's been, you know, sensational. This this Ravens reject comes in and he's basically declared himself the starting QB and they've struggled with EJ Manuel last season. They look like they've got this guy now who can use his feet as well as his head. All these weapons, but at the end of the day, I thought it was the Bills D that, that you know, did the most. They, they kept the Colts quiet until almost the end of the third quarter. So, I mean... Out of all of the surprises to come out of this weekend, it wasn't just the result, but it was the manner in which the Bills did it. Well, and it's an interesting shout, too, uh, you know, not only with Rex Ryan, uh, you know, making the big ballsy call with putting so much pressure on Andrew Luck, but the Buffalo Bills were supposed to have one of the most solid defenses going into this league. And in, in even considering that, Ryan goes out and says, you know what, even though we potentially have the kind of defense that would be able to hold the Colts, we're still going to go at him. So, you know, a big call by Rex Ryan, and indeed it does pay off. Uh, you know, the other one that you mentioned is Tyrod Taylor. I mean, I have to say, you heard it here, folks. Mr. John <laughs> Harding himself said that Tyrod Taylor was going to potentially step up big this season, and so far, indeed he is. Um, do you see... Yeah, do you see this as kind of a one-off? I know week one is a bit of a roller coaster. It's real hard to tell, as always. But, you know, based on that performance, he looks like the composed quarterback that all he ever required in Baltimore was a little injury to Joe Flacco. And, bam, he's slotted himself into a starting role. Seriously, that throw to Harvin was on a dime. I thought it was absolutely superb. And if that... I think a lot of people are like, oh, you know, week one, let's not get too hasty. But he's had all of preseason, you know, and if it was a if it was a fluke and he was just going to be a one hit wonder, if you like, then maybe this week he would have been terrible. But I think there are a lot of reasons to believe that this could be a consistent performer. He's got the brains upstairs as well as the fact that if he needs to, he can react, dump off a pass or he can make the, the play with his feet. And I think that's a real asset to, to the Bills offense. Well, and we talked about stuttering starts with Frank Gore at running back. You know, there were big hopes going into going into the opening game with uh, LaShawn McCoy, of course, coming off as one of the most explosive backs in the leagues out of, out of Philadelphia. But to be honest with you, and it could have been with the way that he was utilized, but to be honest, I, I, I wasn't entirely impressed with him uh, as far as his first game uh, with the Bills uniform on. And I just wanted to ask your opinion before we move on to the next one. Uh, you know, it, does LaShawn McCoy have the have the jitters, so to speak? Uh, does he settle in later in the season? Or do you think he's going to have a tough time in Buffalo? No, I think he'll settle in. I think the way that the Bills' def- uh, offense at the moment is set up is that they want to try and bury it up as much as possible. And I think that's a strength. I think offensive units that don't rely on one or two figures but that are, are widespread, that's always an advantage. Um, you, I think you saw it with the, the Seahawks or you have seen it with the Seahawks in recent seasons. I feel like, yeah, they've got Marshawn Lynch, but you've got players coming up and making plays. I think it's Chris Matthews. Look at that Super Bowl. Nobody even knows who he is. He doesn't even catch it, make a catch and then suddenly he's up and everywhere and he's in your face. You know, I think the Bills have got players who have got names and who've got experience and all of these guys coming together. You can only say that LaShawn McCoy is going to get better with that group around him. I I think he's going to, I think, he, yeah, quite weak in week one, but I don't think it's a, a problem. I think he's just happy with the W, to be honest. I can't say I disagree with you. And of course, you know, as exciting as, exciting as it is to watch McCoy, you know, you, you de- he's not the kind of guy that you want to sputter out. So hopefully he gets, you know, he gets a little bit better look here in the upcoming weeks. 
next up, a big NFC North battle between the Green Bay Packers and the Chicago Bears. Not necessarily unexpectedly, and as was called uh, in our in our last podcast, um, you know, uh, Packers go out and they put up, you know, they they put up 31 points on the defense in for the Bears that, you know, surprisingly didn't look as bad as what I thought they were going to, but at the same time, um, you know, still allowed 31 points. Uh, you know, and it's been funny listening into all these different, uh, you know, radio podcasts and, you know, uh, you know, watching ESPN and they're saying, you know what, this actually wasn't a bad performance by the Bears, but if you get beat by eight and everyone considers it not a bad performance, is that a sad indictment of the Chicago Bears for the upcoming season? Yes and no. You've got to remember you're playing against the best quarterback in the NFL, uh, in my humble opinion, but I think most people would agree. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers is a machine. He was connecting with Randall Cobb and also James Jones, who, let's be honest, had an absolute day. I'm not sure that's going to happen every week, but the Packers fans will be hoping it does. So, yes, it's a bit sad for the Bears that, you know, losing by eight points is is a sad place to be in. But against the Packers, I don't think that's that puts things into a bit more context. Um, I think if that had been against a side that they might have expected to beat, then sure, you can you can view that in a maybe in a more negative sense. But there are a few issues for the Bears that they have to get right. Um, and my biggest concern there is really if you took Matt Forte out of there, then that's not an eight get, that's not an eight point loss. That's a huge loss. Um, and then that's when the question marks really start to come in. But losing to Aaron Rodgers and the Packers is uh, perfectly acceptable for most Bundes, uh, for most Bundesliga teams, for most NFL teams. Um, <laughs> um, my mind, my mind is everywhere. All over. For most NFL teams. So I would say that the Bears, they can be, Happy with some things, but they probably need to make sure going forward that they eliminate those errors, particularly Jay Cutler, who, yeah, I know we sort of differ a little bit. I mean, he didn't look that bad until he got picked, but I, I never feel like he's that comfortable. And I always feel like everyone in the Bears offense is looking to Forte and not Cutler, and I feel like that's a negative thing. Well, and there are a couple of big names in that offense that, you know, need to be looked at more, you know, with, with with a little bit more scrutiny. You know, I absolutely agree with you. And it's one of those things concerning Matt Forte that over the course of the past couple of seasons, um, you know, even last year's, you know, almost, almost sad, uh, you know, 5-11 and 11 record, uh, Matt Forte was still, for the most part, pretty unstoppable, a heck of a ball player there. But, you know, when you've got names like Jay Cutler at the quarterback position, who I think is being looked to for leadership less and less over time, um, but with the departure of Brandon Marshall and the slotting of Alshon Jeffrey, another huge name in the receiving core last season for the Bears, into the number one receiver spot, he has a relatively quiet game, while new pickup Eddie Royal, with tons of experience, you know, I, I has a good day himself. You know, so it, it's it's going to be a little bit interesting on the uh, uh, you know on the offensive side of the ball for the Bears. Um, and I'm, I'm I don't think interesting is the correct word, honestly, for the for the defensive side <laughs> of the ball. Um, I you know I hesitate to say worrying because they truly didn't look bad, but at the same time they do let up 31 points. Uh, you know, we'll talk about the previews a little bit later on. But do you see improvement out of this Bears side based on what you saw last year? No, I mean, my so, family shortly, has your name and number. You know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I think that unless they can give Matt Forte more support and Jay Cutler a little bit more security, maybe a bit more confidence, then it's going to be another year that was very similar to the last. I'm afraid. Well, and we've already spoken about one big surprise of the weekend. Let's talk about one that's not surprising at all: Panthers twenty, Jaguars nine. Now. I know I said on the last podcast that this was one of the easiest games that I had to pick of my lot, but 
the Panthers didn't necessarily look stone cold. You know, their their defense was solid. Not that holding the Jaguars to nine points is any sort of accomplishment at all. Um, but they go out and they have themselves, a, you know, a, a good day. Now, on the offensive side of the ball, though, Cam Newton is still a bit on the mess side. Uh, you yeah. know, Jonathan Stewart doesn't really perform as, you know, he never really performs. Um, so I got to ask, how much improvement is Carolina going to have to see out of this offense before they can start looking at deep playoff runs? Oh, I think they got a long way to go before that. I was actually really impressed with the Jags early on. Um, I know we'll get to them in a bit, but I didn't think, like you said, I thought Cam was a little bit, you know, there was, he wasn't even anywhere near putting on the Superman costume, let alone taking it off. So, I mean, you've got Greg Olson, who, as we've said, you know, it looks like he should be advertising shampoo, and he was great, and he's always great. But, you know, 13 points against the Jaguars, you know, to coming up to 20, sorry. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily a productive sign, really, of, of, of where the, the Panthers need to be. I mean, yeah, it's a win at the end of the day. It's week one. You can say, you know what, it doesn't really matter so long as we get the W. But 20 points, I feel like there were more opportunities there and they could have posted a big score and sent out a message. Maybe another issue for them is the, the concussion to Luke Kuechly on, on D. You know, he, he, depending on how long he is out, obviously the concussion conversation will go on forever. Um, sure, sure. But it's it's never a good thing to see because, you know, you and I both know that two or three or four concussions in a short period basically spells the end of a player's career. And, I, you know, Luke Kuechly's been a massive player for the NFL, let alone for the Panthers. So um, that will be important for them. But, yeah, I would agree the offense needs to get their act together. I feel like Cam needs to stop forcing it. Uh, his whole hesitation and then run thing, you know, I find a lot of similarities between Cam and, and Cap, actually. Um, but I would prefer uh, prefer Cap, obviously, just based on what I've seen. I feel like Cam is sometimes, he does throw an awful ball too often, you know. Oh, sure. and, uh, well, and based on what we saw uh, yesterday evening, I suppose for you uh, early this morning, uh, based on what we saw out of Kaepernick, and of course we'll get into that a little bit later, but, you know, Kaepernick has shown just based off last year that he has improved as a quarterback, not necessarily yeah. as an athlete, but as a quarterback. And Cam Newton, it, it seems like his development's kind of stunted at the moment. And if you do that as a quarterback who plays this kind of like, oh, I can rush it or I can throw it, then you know teams are going to wise up to that. And if you don't adapt and you don't start uh, basically improving or restocking your arsenal and how you are able to attack teams, then teams are going to find you out. People know that Cam Newton can run. So what you're going to st- you're going to set up your defense separately and differently now to accommodate that. And if he doesn't have any other weapons or he can't adjust, then that's going to be a real problem for the Panthers. Absolutely. And again, you know, at least fair looking uh, in an opening day win against the Jaguars. But whenever it comes up to the previews later in this podcast, it'll be interesting to see how we end up calling that. Because, you know, if the offense can't get their act together and, and more importantly, if Cam Newton can't get his act together as a, you know, as a leader of that offensive unit, uh, this could be another sort of wishy-washy year for the Panthers. Uh, moving on Agreed. to the uh, Kansas City Chiefs and the Houston Texans. Uh Wow, uh, Kansas City twenty-seven over twenty, uh, you know, to the Texans, and it just—it didn't even really look like a ball game. I don't think the score suggests how how far apart these two teams are at the moment. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, Kelsey, the, everybody said as well, who's who's got this guy in? You know, early on, 
the the Chiefs take advantage and he he makes a couple of massive plays. They get touchdowns and they're ahead. I thought the Texans D wasn't that great, but then you say that and then JJ Watt still makes two sacks, one without his helmet, which was amazing, and then six tackles for a loss. You know, so I think we've said it before um, between ourselves, and we should say it now. You know, the, the Texans D needs to start relying on other weapons other than JJ Watt if they want to win games. Um, he is a phenomenal player. Uh, he's definitely the best defensive player in the league but you can't win games on him alone and obviously the offensive side of the ball was an absolute nightmare I thought but you know we've said it's been said by everybody who watches the NFL that the Texans have a QB issue and you know when you're watching Brian Hoyer you can only imagine what JJ Watt or Javadian Clowney is thinking on the sidelines you know the guy fumbles and he throws an interception deep in his own half and both of those end up as TDs for, for the Chiefs I mean it's you can't really go forward anywhere if you're every time your offense takes to the field you're going two steps backwards um i feel that's a real issue for them and you know 27 20 is is really only because ryan mallet who you wonderfully said who the hell is this guy uh came in and did better you know it doesn't say much about hoyer but if ryan mallet's coming in and making hoyer look bad then you've got some serious concerns if you've made hoyer your number one pick and maybe that will change your number one choice uh maybe that will change after this but kudos to the chiefs Smith was solid as ever. You know, I always have this conversation in my head when I watch the Chiefs. I think, oh, should we have stuck with him or should we have gone with Cap? It's always an interesting one to, to sort of go through, but they deserve to win it. It was much, much... The, the scoreline was nowhere near representative of, of the game itself and the Texans should be worried. Well, and you, you talk about a guy like J.J. Watt and how Houston needs to build around him. And, I mean, and realistically... If you look at some of these other big marquee defensive players that we've seen over the course of years, and I'm talking, I'm talking the big names like a, you know, I know for the Ravens, you you you've got a you you got a Ray Lewis and an Ed Reed. I know for Ugh, the, Ray <laughs> Lewis. <laughs> well, and for uh, you know, and for the hometown Steelers, you've got a guy like Troy Polamalu who's just everywhere. Yep. But at the same time, when you talk about that defense, you may talk about Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, Troy Polamalu first. You may talk about Luke Keekley. Uh, you know, for the Carolina Panthers first, but you also have to put them in perspective of a unit that is very well built. The depth yeah. is strong, and that's just yeah. not necessarily the case for the Houston Texans. That's got to be the number one area of improvement. Oh wait, their quarterback situation is dreadful. <laughs> yeah, lots of Seriously. problems. Um, you know, the, the Texans going to be interesting to see how they perform this season. A heck of a, a heck of a defensive performance from the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, and it looks like you know they may have sorted themselves into you know some sort of a wild card spot, which would be just almost lovely to see, really. And moving. yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe, but I think maybe we'll see. Yeah, early days, <laughs> early days, always early days. Um, another strange game is the Baltimore Ravens and the Denver Broncos. Now, it's odd to say this, but how Denver won, I honestly don't know. Because Peyton Manning showed, just as you so eloquently called a few podcasts ago, that Peyton Manning is not Peyton Manning anymore. Peyton Manning is a guy who can't launch the deep ball like he once could. Uh, it looks like some of the zip on his short check down passes and his slant routes aren't as strong as what they once were. And you've got C.J. Anderson, who is absolutely stuffed by the Ravens' defense, and then they win 19-13. Explain this to me, John. I'm at a loss. Well, I think part of the reason is because, you know, we haven't talked about it yet or you didn't mention it there, but also because neither quarterback had a good game. I didn't think Joe Flacco was good, but also because both defenses were huge. 
um, it was one of those tactical tactical battles, really. Um, and both both defenses sort of came out on top, and it wasn't a particularly exciting game in that sense. Uh, it was more of a it was an interesting game to analyze, but it wasn't an exciting game in terms of end to end. You're totally right. I think the Peyton even said afterwards he was like, you know what, we can't be pleased with that as an entire uh, as an entire offense. We weren't very good. Um, I'd be worried about it if I was the Ravens because I felt like they had opportunities to win the game. Um, and you know, if you if you can't do that against a weaker Peyton Manning, then and you've shut down their run game, uh, I'd be really really worried about that. I mean, I don't I I don't really know how the Broncos came out of it. I think the reason is that their D held up uh, when it mattered, um, and out of the two, it was just above it. You know, Akib Talib. You talked about it. You said he was. I talked about it. You said he was a little bit maybe past it. You know what? I like the fact that he came in and, and, and proved me to be right this, this week. And uh, Yeah, maybe not quite out of it just yet. Yeah, exactly. I think that's one of the reasons. You know, D, it was a defensive game. Broncos came out on top, but it was not one for the offensive eye. So I did not think Joe Flacco had a good game. He was under a lot of pressure. I think he was under the most pressure of all QBs this weekend in terms of pressure in the pocket. And that tells you about how the Broncos went about their game as well. But worrying for both sides on an offensive uh, on the off- offensive side of the ball. Yeah, well, and I mean, the inconsistencies that are Peyton Manning, you know, at this point in his career, and you know, and at this point, you know, post, you know, season-ending injury just uh, two or three years ago, um, you know, these are the sort of things that you expect out of Peyton Manning. And it is, you know, it is, you know, almost a, almost a sad, darn near pitying end to, a, you know, some sort of Peyton Manning era. But Joe Flacco, I mean, one of the things that Joe Flacco has got to get sorted is his first eight games. Much like an Eli Manning, Joe Flacco never really seems to get himself all straightened out until the Ravens don't necessarily have the best, you know, sort of uh, record going into the first half of the season. And then it's like, okay, I got to break down and I got to really fix this. And it's like, well, son, <laughs> why can't you do that in the first game of the year? Come on now. You know, the Ravens <laughs> have an opportunity with the defense, though now they're missing Terrell Suggs. I'll touch on that in just a moment. Uh, to really take hold of the AFC North substantially. Yeah. You know, you've got quarterback problems in, with Cincinnati. We'll get into that later. You've got defensive problems with the Steelers. First time in years, that's really been the case. And yeah. you've got a Browns team. Again, we'll get into that. That was, uh, you know, a, again, underimpressive. And yet you've got a guy like Joe Flacco who just can't quite, can't, you know, can't quite seem to get it taken care of. So it's going to be very interesting. On the other side of the ball, of course, Terrell Suggs is out. For an extended period, that to me is a big worry. A lot of people will talk about Terrell Suggs and his age, yeah. but I talk about Terrell Suggs and his age and his twelve sacks last year. You know, it, with the Ravens' defenses, you know, al- almost fifty. You know, huge loss for the Ravens. Definitely, absolutely. I mean, yeah. The other thing is, from a Ravens' perspective, even yeah, as you were talking about the defense, you know, that Peyton Man is thirty-nine. You know, if you can't get after a guy who can't feel the ball on his fingertips and is nearly 40, then seriously. Right. This is almost a Brett Favre conversation from not too long ago where it's like, you know what? <laughs> One more hit and he may collapse into a cloud of dust. You know, Peyton Manning <laughs> may be facing that same sort of situation soon. Yeah. I mean, the Broncos have got some serious question marks about their long-term successor for him because obviously Osweiler knows the, the offense. But is he really going to be the guy you're going to go to for a whole season? I don't know. Tricky. Could be could be some worrying times ahead for Denver. Indeed, indeed. And off the back of such a you know such a good season last year. Uh but yeah. let's not talk about dropping seasons. Let's talk about who's gonna win the league this year, and that's the Tennessee Titans. 
Woo! Let's just say <laughs> your boy won the pros and cons battle. Yeah, Marcus Mariota only uh, 175 yards, but by golly, he tosses four touchdowns in 13 completions in a 42 to 14 win over Tampa Bay. John, just out of curiosity, how bad <laughs> does it hurt to lose? Yeah, it does. Yeah, I'll give you that. And uh, <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. I mean, look, there was no doubt that Mariota Mariota bossed it, and at the end of it. You know, hands up, you were you were right, I was wrong. But I would say this, right? What was he what did he have? Mario had thirteen of sixteen. So he only made sixteen pass attempts, mm-hmm. which is pretty conservative against a Bucks defense, which is obviously pretty awful. So that's one thing. Maybe it was just better with his management. Maybe you could argue that. But Winston went all out and had made sixteen of thirty-three, which is a lot of throws to go for. Now that's pretty poor, you know. But at least he went for it and yeah okay he threw two interceptions and he was sacked four times not good agreed but he did throw two TDs and he did throw 210 yards I thought as much as he was good and bad he did show some good composure to come out after a poor start I mean the guy throws oh, what was it a pick six with his first ever throw in the LFL so like really I mean I think they were talking about on NFL Network and they were saying the last guy to do that was Brett Favre so maybe it's a good omen but Ooh, big ask there, but I like the comparison. <laughs> big ask, absolutely. I mean, he was helped out by Seferin Jenkins, who had a massive day, 110 yards, two DDs. Two DDs. I did not see that, that coming, really. But yeah, when it, if it was a battle of the QBs, you won and I was uh, you were right and I was wrong. But uh, it's, it's tough to really say going into the season whether that's really the marker, you know, because... Is that it? You know, Mariota is playing against the Bucks D, which is not exactly heralded for being great. And Winston, the other thing is, was he really bad because he was he threw two interceptions and was sacked four times against the Titans D, who are not necessarily amazing. But I think it's maybe a case of a bit of hyperbole, but can't deny that the Titans came out on top in all aspects. Well, and if you if you do get to record one win out of this game, I do believe I do have to grant you uh, the Bishop Sankey shout, uh, you know, saying that this might be his big year. Uh, you know, 12 carries for 74 yards and a touchdown, averaging just over six yards a carry. Now, again, we've already mentioned this is against the Buccaneers defense, but you got to say, for a guy who maybe not necessarily has gotten off to the best starts, uh, you know, it's, I mean, that heck of a week one for the kid, wouldn't you say? Definitely, definitely. And that's very, very encouraging from a Titans perspective because obviously you're looking at uh, Mariota and you're thinking, this is a guy we've drafted, this is franchise, here we go, can we make it happen? But then you're like, oh, okay, we've also got an offensive weapon in Bishop Sankey who should really just win awards for his name, to be honest. Very true, very true. Well, and that's going to be the story of the Titans this year. Uh, and you know, with the offense, it's not like they don't have the potential for weapons. They just have to make sure that they unlock it. And if they've got a defensive unit that can at least hold it together, you know, my younger brother, I have to say, called a 10 and 6 season potentially for the Titans, but I'm going to have to go with a little bit safer 7 to 9, 8 and 8, and a heck of an improvement off of last year. 8 and 8 would be huge. 8 and 8 would be huge. And a 10 and 6 would be impossible. Steve, I'm talking to you. <laughs> All right, so the late game, uh, or excuse me, uh, the the early game on Monday night um, was, of course, the Thirds against the Birds, Eagles and Falcons. Matt Ryan and Julio Jones coming up big for a twenty six to twenty four win over Philly. 
Now, one thing I will say is that neither Bradford nor Ryan looked exceptional, but Ryan made sure that he got the job done. Both quarterbacks throw for, 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 you know, two interceptions apiece, but Julio Jones coming up, nine receptions for 141 and both the receiving touchdowns. Now, we talked about it in the last podcast, John. You said that, you know, Julio Jones secures himself this big contract, and this has got to be the year where he says, you gave me the money, now I'm going to make sure that you know that it's worth it. And boy, did he, wouldn't you say? Down payment. This guy delivered. Seriously, big time. And uh, if you can carry that on <laughs> for the rest of the season, then, yeah, big time. Respect. Because, as I said, this was the year that he needed to step up. He's got all the money in his back pocket, and now it's time to put the, the ball in his hands. And Matt Ryan, I've always... Always thought he had a steady arm. He's pretty consistent. We talked about it last last week. He delivered when it mattered. You know, I, I thought it was nice to Sam Bradford said after the game. He was just excited to be back out there. And he was like, okay, we lost, but I'm back in the groove and I'm still alive and healthy. So that was nice to see from an NFL perspective. But Key word yeah. on alive there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There for a few injury-ridden <laughs> seasons. We weren't sure if Sammy was going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks for sticking around. Um, yeah, Julio Jones, yeah, big time, big time. Well, we talk about some big names that, you know, that have shown consistency over the course of the past couple of seasons. You know, you say a Matt Ryan, you say a Julio Jones, but, um, talk about bad debuts for running backs for a brief moment. DeMarco Murray. <laughs> You're going to bring it up. DeMarco Murray, quote unquote, the best running back in the league, comes out against a Falcons defense that isn't to be laughed at, but also isn't to be like, you know, existentially feared. Eight carries for nine yards. Whew. John, yeah. what on earth happened to DeMarco Murray? He got stuffed. I think he just got stuffed and the Falcons were up for it and they looked at him and they went, this guy ran for, what was it, nearly 2,000 or 2,000 yards last year. We're not going to let him get one or two or three, you know, and he got, I mean, nine yards for eight carries. Is, is, I mean, that's little league stuff and he will be, he will be annoyed about that. But that's why I'd be worried about next week. Maybe uh, he's about to unleash next week, but... Yeah, you know what? In I, you could argue that it cost cost the Eagles a game that they didn't have any support to take away from Bradford. That he was sort of it was all on him, and it was basically can he make it happen? And because we haven't got a run game, um, but yeah, it's not a it's not a great start. But Chip Kelly, he knows what he's doing. I think he's a bit of a maverick coach, so I'm sure it'll come come good in in time. It'll be interesting to see if that's the case. And we're going to talk more about how the league and special teams went on uh, over the course of the week. But uh, this one has to be pointed out. You know, in a in a narrow two-point victory, 26-24, the kicking in this game is key. You've got a guy like Matt Bryant that goes four for four on his field goals. And then Corey Parker missing one himself that could have been the winner. I mean, how yeah. how important is it that you've got your special teams sorted? We saw it earlier. I know we didn't get the chance to talk about it, but... You know, in the Steelers games, Josh Scobie comes from Jacksonville and misses his first two Pittsburgh field goals. How important has special teams been? Well, it's massive, you know, especially with defenses like stocking up this this uh, offseason. You've got to make sure that if you get yourself into that area and into a position, you can confidently send on your kicker and make those points. You just, and especially in games like that where it's tight, you know, you can't send him on and be like, oh, are we going to win? Because at that point, you might as well go for it on fourth right, and right. three or whatever it is, right? You, you, there's no point in trying to kick the field goal. So, yeah, you've got to get it right. And I think it's interesting as well with the extra point now being, what is it, 33 yards, did we say? 31 or something like that? I believe. Yeah, 33, yeah. So that also adds another dimension because suddenly more teams may be thinking, okay, our kicker isn't that great. Maybe we just go for two regularly because our QB is amazing, you know? 
it changes the dynamic. I think it spices it up a bit, and I'm really glad that they move the extra point back a bit because you know it, it now removes the pointlessness, the pointless nature of it. Because every everything before was just like, what's the point? No one ever misses, um, unless it's Tom Brady's college game, of course. But <laughs> yeah. <you know. laughs> well, and and like I say, you know, we'll we'll get in more about the importance of special teams and perhaps the importance of special teams in the upcoming season a little bit later. But first, I want to move on to the crappiest game of all crap games uh, as far as the matchup side of things goes, but perhaps not the crappiest of score lines. The Cleveland Browns take on the New York Jets, and the Jets put up 31 points on what we believed was a bit of a revitalized defense there in Cleveland. Um, John, uh, I mean, will we even see that many points out of the Jets again this season? Well, what was it? It's the first time they've scored that in like five seasons or something. I can't right. remember the stat exactly, but they haven't put up 30 points in ages. Well, so. when you've got Mark Jet- Sanchez falling over his offensive line, I mean, it's hard to put up seven points, to be fair. That is true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. It's hard, to, it's hard to get the ball to us. But you know what? We should have feared the beard a bit more. I mean, Fitz came in and he was pretty solid. I thought that, you know, it's not very often you can say that about a Jets QB or it hasn't been of late that quarterbacks in that position in that team have been consistent or have been solid. And Fitzpatrick actually did a fairly good job. No one was really talking about him after the game, but that's probably a good sign, you know, because normally everyone's like, oh, my God, did you see Geno Smith this weekend? He threw 17 <laughs> interceptions. So, you know, for once they weren't talking about it, but it was a good thing. And great support by Chris Ivey on the ground. I thought he took the heat off Fitz a bit. And, you know, it was weird, you know. We didn't. I mean, we. No one knows what to make of the Jets. I, I never feel like I really know what's going on there. But if anything is to be said, the Jets should have won this game purely on the disgusting color of the Cleveland Browns kit. Like this is a love child of Coke and Fanta gone wrong, an illegitimate love child. <laughs> oh <And> God! <laughs> there is no reason that any football team should take to the field of play looking like that and for that reason alone the Jets can take the W I mean let alone the fact they scored 21 more points take it on the on the colours alone boys because I mean obviously I'm speaking from a team who has the sexiest kit of of all week one so you know that is debatable but I do believe I have to be on your side on that one (laughs) I know you you know it you know it (laughs) from the moment you showed me those San Francisco third kits whoo those are some tough looking, tough looking jerseys to, to be sure. And I will say we're going to have to come up for an official term for what a love child of Coke and Fanta will be. That way we can call the Cleveland Browns that for the remainder of the season. Put that down in your notes for this week, sir. Okay, I'm just thinking off the off the top of my head. Foca. <laughs> See, I was going to say folk, but if we got into it too much then we it might come off as something else and <laughs> I think it would be a little bit rude and then we'd have to slap a PJ PG thirteen right, on, on the right. show. Right, then all of a sudden I have to find a good bleep cut in so that I can do And then we can't there. have it in the living room, which is basically where all six of our listeners are. So, you know, we just you know we need to change it to a more adult environment then if we're gonna up the ante. So mm-hmm. no let's let's keep it let's keep it clean. Well, especially whenever you have a not-American and a silly redneck American trying to talk about football on occasion, we may as well keep it clean. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, agreed, agreed. All right, so moving on to the remainder of the games, Dolphins versus Redskins. The Finns come out with their first win of the season, 17-10 over Washington. I got to ask, really, uh, other than the the punt return by Jarvis Landry, was anything about this game really surprising? Uh, Bryce McCain's unbelievable catch. Uh, the interse- uh, this is the interception, I think. Uh, falling, falling backwards, just insane. Um, 
that was probably the biggest moment of the game. I'd be worried about Ryan Tannehill on and off. Not brilliant. Uh, definitely an air team. They threw 2-2-6 in the air. Only rushed for 74. Uh, Dolphins won it, but it was close and it was ugly. Redskins were penalty heavy. Not much to see. Went down as we expected it. Thanks very much. Indeed. And moving away from Kirk and his cousins, we've got another big upset. And I'm delighted about it. Oh, me, oh my. Sorry, I had to get it in there. I had to get it in. <laughs> you, well, you, you, end up losing, you end up losing your actual... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Addiction rank on, which we'll get to here. No, but I'm actually okay with that. I'm okay with that. Oh, you have to be. The St. Louis Rams come out. The Seattle Seahawks go down 34 to 31 in overtime. My main issue here is did we overestimate the Seattle Seahawks into the upcoming season or did we underestimate the, the Rams or is it a mixture of both? Uh, we underestimated the Rams. I think out of the two, we underestimated the Rams. Great Russian pass defense, all-round defense. They were everywhere. They were on Wilson. They were on Lynch. I mean, you, you even have to hear what the guys said after the game. They were like, we knew when Lynch was going to try and go for it that we were going to stuff him. We knew he wasn't going to make it. They were up there. Out of the defense as a whole was just superb. And you know what? Nick Foles, you know what? That was a gamble that paid off. I mean, Sam Bradford looked okay. I thought he looked decent in, in parts for the Eagles, but I'm I'm pretty happy if I'm in the Rams right now because Nick Foles is a bit of a baller, you know, making it happen, taking the game to overtime when they looked like they were out of it. Serious drama in this game, a couple of amazing punt returns, but yeah, I, I mean, we underestimated the Rams. They they can certainly. I mean, I was watching this game and I was thinking. This is such a Rams Seahawks game. This is such a Rams situation, right? They were playing well. They were leading. And it's just like in football, you know, like 10 years ago when you're watching Man United and it was Ferguson. There was a 90 second minute and you're like, are they going to score? They're just going to score. You know, it's going to happen, right? And so you're watching the game. You go, no, Seahawks are going to score. They're going to score. What do they do? They score. And then suddenly the Rams score and then you're like, oh my God, it's going to overtime. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. And then they win, you know, and that never happens. Maybe once in a blue moon. So I was just really, really pleased. Obviously it's a, a divisional uh, battle for, for Niners fans as well. It's great to see, but hey, 0-1-1 for the Seahawks. Come on! <laughs> well, and I will have to say, I, it's never been published, but I have had I, I have done nothing but indict Nick Foles since he got his first start and threw up, you know, something like 300 or 350 yards. You know, I've been saying over and over again, he's a one-off. He's a one-off. Philadelphia, get rid of him. How you feeling now? Oh, How you feeling now? I feel like an imbecile is what I feel like. <laughs> You know, he comes under the wing of Jeff Fisher, who shows that he's still a class coach, but for the first time in a while, he's been able to really cultivate a good quarterback out of all the different failures that came out of Tennessee. You know, he gets a guy like Nick Foles with some experience and says, you know what, this I can work with. And indeed, and he's he an does. aggressive coach. Yeah, you know, he's absolutely. an aggressive coach, and so is Nick Foles. So that's why it works. They're both aggressive players or, you know, mentalities. So I think it works. Absolutely, absolutely. A heck of a win by the Rams. I hope to see more of that sort of excitement going on for the rest of the season around the league, really. Yeah, definitely. Drama. Another sort of dramatic game in the first 400-yard passing game by any quarterback of this season, the Lions fall 33-28 to to the Chargers. Rivers, whew, 
Again, I had I all I ever want to do is make fun of cool him. Cool hand Luke. Cool hand oh, Luke, man. I tell you. Cool hand Philip, I'm telling you. Throws for his <laughs> four hundred yards. He's got, you know, again, the first big performance at any of the quarterbacks in the league. And he utilizes his options well, specifically coming out of Keenan Allen Keenan Allen, you know, fifteen some odd receptions for 166 yards. Stevie Johnson looks like a new boy. Um and then the call that we had talked about last time, uh, you know, with the with the running back situation, Danny Woodhead gets in there and shows that he's got the right to to get some carries this season, don't you think? Seriously, and if the Chargers can bring all those weapons together every week, then watch out because you know they beat a Lions team that were in and about it last season, and I thought they were pretty good. You know, Chargers fair play. Uh, Keenan Allen, not that 15 reception for 166 yards. That's a franchise record that equals Kellen Winslow. And that tells you everything you need to know about him. And people were saying, is he gonna? Is he gonna have that? Is he gonna get back from this slump? You know, because he started so well, then he wasn't so great, and now he's back again. Danny Woodhead is pounding the rock. Philip Rivers is throwing 400 yards. If you're a Chargers fan right now, you are pumped for the rest of this season because you just beat a Lions team with Matt Stafford, who, yeah, he was good and it was really, really close, but you came out on top. And I felt like the Chargers lost a lot of these games last season by, by narrow margins. So if you can start off winning them, big time. Absolutely. And one thing that I will have to say as far as a bright spot out of the Lions side is, uh, you know, Amir Abdullah, you know, coming in and showing that, you know, with the outage of Joyke Bella right now, that he he can slot in and still make a difference. You called it. You called it. It's good to know I can call something. It's very, very unusual, <laughs> but it's good to know I can call something. <laughs> All right. Now on to another not not so surprising one, perhaps, was the Bengals win over the Raiders, 33-13. to Nothing about this scoreline itself is surprising, but... You know, Andy Dalton has, you know, he goes out and has a day. He's neat and tidy for almost 275 yards. Again, it's against the Raiders, but, you know, uh, the big question that has been surrounding Andy Dalton since he, since he came into the league, is there really a potential that he might be answering it this year? No, I wouldn't take anything too seriously from a week one win against the Raiders. I mean, yes, it was good, neat and tidy, good to see, but my question marks are in week two, three, four, five. Can he keep it going? Because he was hot and then not, and then, you know, that's what he's been basically all of last season. And I think this is, as we said last week uh, in our preview as well, it's the season he needs to prove it. It's time now to say, I'm going to be the Bengals' Kubi for the next, I don't know, four or five seasons, or he's going to be like, oh, well, that's my chance gone. Yeah, well, and you gotta, you gotta say that, you know, whether you're a Bengals fan or just, you know, a stout defense with a good offense kind of fan, you know, again, the Bengals are divisional rivals, but Dalton is one of the kids that I'd like to see come out and really, really make a difference. Um, and, you know, at, at least thus far, it looks like he's, you know, he, he may be willing to. It'll be interesting to see whether or not he can keep that consistent. Now, yeah, well, I will, I will say forward, I did let's, skip let's over one. Yeah, you did. I was I did. just surprised. I did, I did it on accident. I was readjusting, and I missed one. The uh, Saints versus the Cardinals. What a game by the Cardinals, 31-19. to Carson freaking Palmer, the still relevant, freakishly old, always on the fringe, <laughs> but proving that if you give him the starting, the, you know, the starting spot, he can still do something with it. Well, Bruce Arians is also a gutsy coach, and I like the way that they went about the game. Um, and it, maybe it was an indictment about where the Saints are. You know, the end of the game, they decided to punt. You know, and I can't help but feel in that situation, you've got Drew Brees, you want to back your QB, you want to go for it. You know, you need to get into the game rather than going to your D and giving the Cardinals a chance to go for it. Cardinals weren't going to mess about. And you know what? If anybody hasn't seen it, watch David Johnson's unbelievable pace 
for a 55-yard TD to basically kill the game. The guy has got a seventh gear. That guy was just like, (laughs) okay, goodbye. Uh, And that's the kind of difference, I think, where these two teams are at, basically, at the moment. The best way to summarize it was in that play. You know, the Saints don't have the balls. Maybe they're a bit nervy at the moment. Yeah, okay, breeze through for 3-5-5, but it wasn't enough. And they only scored 19 points with 3-5-5 yards. You've got to be asking yourself... Ooh, okay, so he's throwing nearly 400 yards and we're only scoring 19 points and we're letting in 31. And you're going to put your defense back on with whatever it was, two, three minutes to go, instead of giving Drew Brees, who's closing in on 400, you know, the chance to win the game. I think that's a bad play call. Um, and Cardinals, on the other hand, are not going to kill it by running the game. They're going to throw it. They've got pace. They've got desire. Carson Palmer, as you said, sitting in a rocking chair, but he's still popping the ball out. So fair play. That's about all you can give to a guy like Carson Palmer, who you know starts off the season as as well as he has thus far. Um, but there are just a few more games to get in touch with before we move on to some of the previews. The one that I have to say, you know, we talked about the you know we talked about the the Seahawks and the Rams being such a good uh, as far as you know excitement level goes about that being such a good game. But look at the Giants Cowboys, a surprising twenty six to twenty or excuse me twenty seven to twenty six win. Uh, for the Cowboys, and a fourth quarter comeback by Tony Romo. He did not run backwards. He did not slide whenever he wasn't supposed to. And even though he's not holding kicks anymore, he didn't end up holding a kick and accidentally dropping it. What <laughs> a drive there at the end of the game. And I, ultimately, the the sealer of a win for the for the Dallas Cowboys. As Des said, Des Bryant said after the game, what about that nine? Huh? And I mean, seriously, Tony Romo, seriously respect. Yeah, he... It takes a lot. And I don't know whether people really, you know, take a step back from the situation here. The chances, I mean, he only what had one incompletion on that drive. It was something like eight of nine or something or seven of eight. There's, he only has one incompletion on that drive. And you're in a two-minute drill or less than that. You've got nine seconds left to win the game. And you have the presence of mind to treat it like it's a training game or like you're calm and you're composed. I don't think necessarily QBs get the appreciation that they deserve in those situations. That's a really difficult thing to do and uh, Tony Romo who people have sort of said ah maybe he's past it maybe he's a little bit over the hill he didn't have Des Bryant because of his injury concern they say four to six weeks yeah they'll obviously try and push him back sooner than that but broken foot it's going to take time time to heal but he's still got it done you know Tony Romo so hey huge for them crushing for the Giants and you have to say they should never have lost this game but that's probably because they overpaid their incredibly stupid quarterback (laughs) <laughs> well, and again, you know, he 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 makes some big mistakes right there at the very end. And to be fair, you know, you, you're looking at a, a New York Giants offense that scored, I believe it was something to the effect of 17 of their 26 points directly off of turnovers from the Dallas Cowboys. So that just goes to show that, you know, when they're put in good field position, they can take advantage of it. But for the most part, if it requires an 80-yard drive, a 65-yard drive, they may not have the wits about them to get it done. Um, no, they just... They just need a helmet catch or, or someone to have the ball fly off their body or something. Right, you know, something. right. An absolute miracle. Somehow, especially <laughs> with that second interception, somehow it comes off of the guy's hands, or off the guy's, out of the guy's hands, excuse me, right into the defender's arms. I mean, how much more lucky can you get there, man? Seriously, maybe, maybe, they, maybe they should, maybe that's how much it costs. Maybe 70, 80 million. I heard that's what QBs cost these days. I mean, I don't know. Maybe just mediocre ones. Who knows? Well, yeah, you pay enough money. Surely you're going to get a little bit of luck. But, can't believe uh, that. I spoke to Giants fans about that as well. They can't believe they tied him down for so long as well. Like I know that he's got two Super Bowl rings, which might just be my biggest issue with the entire <laughs> thing. But to, to to nail him down for so long and so much money, uh, 
Bold. Bold, bold, bold. Bold indeed. The other individual that has a relatively quiet game, though not necessarily unexpectedly, is Odell Beckham Jr. Um, you know, after the after the videos that have come out from the preseason and the exciting start in the postseason last year, you got to expect that that guy's got a huge target on his back. And with the way that the Dallas Cowboys covered him, I, I think it I think it proves it. You know. Yeah, it's going to carry on this season. It's going to be tricky for him. I'd be surprised if he can put anywhere near the numbers up, which is why anybody who says uh, Beckham Jr. versus Amari Cooper is not even a contest. Cooper's is going to have better numbers. Well, and unless unless Beckham has the ability to come out and really show the talent that he's supposed to have, which yeah, unless unless he's more than just that first season, exactly. Right, right, and it, you know, from the looks of it, based on what we've seen, the the kid's got it, but at the same time, he's still got some proving to do. All right. You can have your day now. Yes. I'll, I'll, I'll even let you open this one up, sir. Thank you very much. Well, the Vikings against the Niners, we we won. Um, I was really pleased about that. We scored 20 points as well, which I was not expecting. Um, Carlos Hyde basically had a monster performance. First touchdown. It was what like a, a big, runner that kid is. Seriously, oh right? Goodness. He's like a like you said it. You had the best description for him. He was like he's like a bear. You know, he's just unbelievable and. He, he even pressed the B button perfectly. It was like Madden all over. He spun the guy out. And then what I liked the, the most about that was that Kaepernick was the guy who was basically blocking for him to run into the end zone. Um, Albeit he did. That was the worst blocking form as a former yeah. offensive lineman. <laughs> was, that was the was, worst blocking form I've ever seen. But, hey, he got the job done. He got the job done. And you know what? He was just a beast all the way through. And I think maybe one thing – I was talking to a couple of my friends who are Niners fans about it. One, one thing we sort of agreed was maybe maybe this is what they saw in him and maybe that's why Gore was let go. Maybe they knew, you know what, this guy deserves the chance to be the number one running back. And, and I would still love for us, I would have loved for us to kept Goron as the number two. But you know what, Jared Hayne, you will not believe the amount of coverage this guy's got down under. They were, they've opened up uh, pubs in Australia showing every single one and they've, uh, of the 49ers games for this season. They've already released a schedule. They say they're going to show every single Niners game down under so even if he doesn't play well this season you have to give the Niners some credit for an incredible marketing strategy on winning some new supporters around the world oh absolutely that- well and when you go scour the world for a guy like that I mean don't get me wrong I know there have always been there's a bit there's always been this age-old battle between which one's rougher is it American football or rugby and I'll leave that to the living room full of listeners that we that we have in order <laughs> to decide that but the fact remains is that Hayne comes right out of the NRL and and you know he, he doesn't get he doesn't get as many looks as you know what an expectant fan might have liked, but with a guy like Carlos Hyde running like he was in front of him, it is understandable. However, what little we did get to see of uh, of Hayne, it I mean it looked good, wouldn't you say? Yeah, apart from the the, the, the drop at the beginning, the sort of forced fumble at the, at the start, I think he looked really good. I think he's only going to learn from Hyde. He said after the game, it's just great to watch him do what he did. And I think if you give these two a season together, then you know it's going to be great. Um, I was really really excited that our running game was still there. Jim Tom Sula has obviously decided to stick with this strategy. And I think, you know, as, as an Ines fan, it's great to see that we haven't gone away from that. But we talked about it so many times. Everybody's talked about it. I've talked about it. I've complained about it. Cap's work with Kurt Warner has obviously paid off based on this performance. He threw solidly um, in the short term. I thought his short distances on the cuts and the out routes, I thought they were really, really good. And it was impressive to see that he was he was looking, he was reading through his receivers. You know, he was actually eyes. He was going one, two, three, four. Okay, options, two is open. And he was nailing the throws. 
He was able to vary the speed. I thought he was much, much better. And there were a couple of times where the pocket would collapse. He would step forward. Everyone would be behind him. And everyone's thinking, oh, he's on a run. Here he goes. But he didn't. He kept his, he kept his mind in, in the game. And as you said, you know, it might not have improved as an athlete. But at least at that point, he didn't think, oh, now I'm an athlete. He thought, now I'm a QB. I'm still a QB. And he made some solid throws. I mean, at the, what was it? The start of the third quarter, he threw eight straight in a row. And I, I thought that was really, really impressive. I, that was the one thing that came out the most of me for that. Yes, we talk about um, Hyde and Hain, but I was really, really impressed with Cap. And if we can keep that going, wonderful. Uh, we had too many penalties. I would just like to say that quickly. And I know that Jim will want to change that going forward. But can we also have a word? And I'm sure you'll, you'll feel the same. Aaron Lynch was huge coming through post. Obviously, no more Willis, no more Borland. I thought Aaron Lynch finally stepped up and was like, you know what? I was still, I'm still here. I was there then. I'm still here now. And Navarro Bowman, you know what? After that ACL tear and all that injury nonsense, he came in and he played like he was absolutely fine. He was a beast. So everyone was worried about our defense. Our defense stepped up. Everyone was worried about Cap. He stepped up. Everyone was worried about Gore not being there. Honestly, for all the glum reasons we had, we came out of this celebrating. Well, and it's hard not to again after a win like that. And the only other note that I've got on this game is that, you know, uh, Jim Tom Sula really seems to have mastered that sort of pistol formation that Ka- that Kaepernick would have played at Nevada. Um, and it, you can tell that that sort of familiarity of a system coupled with the fact that he's got, he's got some options both out of the backfield and in the receiving core. You can tell just by the way that he plays and the, with, the, with the way that he's aware of his own presence that that he's just more comfortable than he has been since Alex yep. Smith, Smith left. And, you know, couple that with the Kurt Warner training, and this could be a surprisingly good year for the San Francisco 49ers, something that you hey. you must love to hear. I must love to hear that. Absolutely love positivity. Let's keep it going. <laughs> yeah, for as long as we can anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Until we lose. Lots in a row. <laughs> All right, so that is that is the wrap-up of our reviews. Now, concerning the previews, we're going to turn this into a little bit of a game between Mr. Harding and I. And through some screw-ups, I somehow came out on top this week. Uh, I think uh, I came no, away with. Did you? <laughs> I believe so. I after after, and this was the this was the silly part for me. As people have pointed out on Twitter, not only did Jonathan and I miss a game apiece, we only previewed fourteen of the sixteen games. We were just I, testing. We were just testing. Just testing, indeed. Thanks, living room full of listeners. You guys see, are. See, we just wanted to see if the living room was still there. Indeed, you're going to stop being called that and start being called the focus group. <laughs> <laughs> but between the John two games that we left off. Like- Plus my mistake calling that yep. the uh, you know that the Ravens were playing the Bengals, which clearly was not the case. Somehow, your boy goes five and one on the predictions, while Jonathan, very very close, comes up with a four and two. Um, uh, so you beat me. Yeah, okay, so, you shouldn't they so bet we, against your own Niners, mate? Obviously, obviously. So week week one, the W goes to 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 Dylan. Indeed. Right. Okay, we've got to keep 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 this. Uh, Keep the strategy going. So you're one and zero, and I'm zero and one. I am, and we are about to figure out, or at least begin the prediction process to figure out who's going to be week two winner. And I'll start this week um, first and foremost with the Jets visiting Indianapolis. I- I'll be honest with you, it's one of those kinds of games where Ooh, tricky, tricky. Indeed, indeed. Jets put up 31 points. Colts look a little lost at the moment. If if the Jets have the same presence of mind to pressure the Colts like they did. They may see a better result for them, but just as we talked about whenever we got done talking about the Browns and the Jets, this is not the sort of game, or this is not the sort of week's performance out of the Jets that you're going to see consistently. I think the Indianapolis Colts are going to be playing at home and a little frustrated with their week one game, uh, and I think I'm going to have to call Colts on top on this one. 
Nice. Okay, you've gone big. Well, I'm I'm, I'm going to go big because I'm going with my Niners against the Steelers. Oh, I'm going to. Oh no! Yeah, I know. I know. It's like it's like a podcast thing now because it's me against you on another level. But I think that. We're going to do it. I think that our offense outstrips your defense. And I think our D is much, much better than yours. And that's why we're going to score more points. And that's why we're going to win the game. Cap's going to be great. I don't think your defense has the has the weapons to stand up against ours. Carlos Hyde, you know what? He's coming for you. And uh, I think our defense is ready for Ben Roethlisberger and all he can bring. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Niners winning against the, the Steelers. Well, we'll have a talk after the podcast about that. Not that I don't necessarily disagree with you, but again, uh, I won't, I won't, in, I won't intrude upon your predictions. We'll just see how the weekend goes. Uh, so the next one I want to cover is Denver Broncos traveling to Kansas City. Uh, you know, the, the issues that the Broncos have uh, at the quarterback position with Peyton Manning, something uh, that's a sentence that I never necessarily expected to say because it's not the, because it's not an issue of, of the jitters or because it's not an issue of, you know, the, the sort of matchup of that week. It's a, it's a, it's an issue of the quarterback. You know, I, I think that, I think the Broncos are going to see a little bit more out of CJ Anderson, but I think the Peyton Manning issue is going to be one that, that lasts for the remainder of the season. And the Kansas City defense just looks too strong right now. I do believe at some point in time, they're going to come down off of their high horse and join what usually is their own individual mediocrity. But I think this is going to be a low scoring Kansas City win. Nice. Okay. Detroit, the Lions against the Vikings. Well, I just watched the Vikings and as, and as tidy as Teddy Bridgewater was, we had a good game plan for, for Adrian Peterson. I thought we shut down their, their targets well, but I have to say, I think the Lions who came so close to beating the Chargers in week one, I'm going to go with the Lions against, uh, against the, the Vikings. I can't, I can't see Amir Abdullah being shut down by the Vikings defense. Um, I can't see Matt Stafford having an ordinary day. I think he's going to have a good day. Um, Golden taste there. I think they've got enough weapons. Lions to beat the Vikings. All righty then. Uh, two teams that put in poor performances in week one. Tampa Bay travels to Louisiana to face the New Orleans Saints. I, As much as I like to make fun of uh, Drew Brees' height, and as much as their week one performance wasn't necessarily the strongest that I'd like to see, no matter where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers go, no matter what stadium they play in, they still suck. Maybe one day that might change, but that won't be in week two. New Orleans are coming off of a home win. Big. I mean, I wouldn't go to the fact they're going to suck forever. I mean, I've still got hope in, hope in my boy, Jamise. Um, this is going to be really tight. Patriots against the Bills. This is a, such a tough call. You know what? You know what? I'm going to go Bills. I'm oh, gonna go Bills. the ball drops. The ball drops. I just drops. dropped the ball. Absolutely. I'm going to go Bills. And you know, I think... The reason why uh, is that, yeah, Brady's always motivated, but I think he had that extra bit of motivation going into week one. And the Steelers' defense isn't the Bills' defense. And this team is pumped. It's come off a week one win that it probably never expected to get. But maybe they did expect to get, and maybe everyone else just didn't expect them to get. They've got enough weapons. I think Tyrod Taylor, I think a lot hangs on him. If he has a bad game, then they won't be able to get anything started, really. I mean, maybe maybe LaShawn McCoy will have that breakout game that we were saying. He might might be due because he had a subdued start to week one. But I'm going to go big. You know, I really am. I think the Bill, the Bills' D is going to make it really difficult for Gronk to get in the game. I think he's going. they're going to shut down and get in Edelman's face. I think New England's running game is going to be non-existent. Bills are going to beat the Patriots. Big call indeed. Looks like you're the big one with the big call. calls. 
Bulls eat. Bulls on the table. Bulls uh, on the table. <laughs> now, with it's the second place, the runner-up to the crappiest game of week two, Miami <laughs> travels to Jacksonville. Um, and you know what? I think I might follow up your big call with one here. Oh, really? This may be one of three. This may Ooh. be one of four. By golly, this may be one of one. But something about the way that Bortles played in the yep. first game, even only I'm being like, able to put up nine points as an as a team, something about the way that Bortles played kind of has a sort of this sort of twinkle in my eye. You know, yeah. Miami aren't the stoutest team in the league, and albeit Ryan Tannehill has improved, I'm not sure if at home against Jacksonville and after what was kind of a tough loss, I'm not sure if they've got the you know the stoutness about them, even with the proximity to home that Jacksonville is to really come away with this game. So I'm I'm going to go a bit out of left field and call Jacksonville win. Boom, you're feeling the pressure of my 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 risky votes. That's what it is. Right, you right. Like you're going to have to take something on. I'm sitting here smiling um, and blushing, can't believing I just did that, but, you know. <laughs> Instantly regretting it. Uh, the Chargers against the Bengals. Uh, I think this is an easy one. Um, I'm going to go Chargers. Chargers are on fire. Uh, Rivers through 400. Everybody's firing on that offense. Defense is ready. Andy Dalton will have a breakdown. We'll say, told you so. Chargers will win. That's hard to that's hard to not call this, you know, especially after week one. Uh, you know, another interesting one's going to be uh, the Carolina Panthers going to Houston to play the Texans. Uh, again, this is it's going to be odd because both teams don't have, you know, both teams have good defenses. Both teams have kind of crap offenses. And in this one, I think I'm going to have to go Panthers just on the sole basis that their defense is stronger. Even though Ryan Mallett, uh, who, again, I still haven't heard of. You mean offense. You mean offense. E- do I? I you can't say that Carolina's defense is stronger than Texans' defense. You know what? Actually, I think so. Now, even without Luke Keekley, I think as a really? unit. Really? You think that there's – as a unit. Okay. As a okay. unit. No, 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 no. There is, there is no player that rivals the defensive end pairing between Jadavion Clowney and J.J. Watt. But – as a unit, even minus Keekley, I think the Carolina Panthers edge this one in a less than 30 points between both teams game because Cam oh. Newton, I don't think he's got enough to put up too many points, and Ryan Mallett still has some proving to do. He also needs to introduce himself to me. I was going to say, who, who is Ryan Mallett? Right, right. Hashtag who's Ryan Mallett. <laughs> Carolina win. Titans against the Browns. Well, Johnny Football, he can Crap game of the week. But yeah, probably. But Titans are going to come out on top. End of. Uh, I think that Mariota is better than Johnny Manziel. And what with Josh McCowan obviously not being Cap Rooney, that's that. <laughs> All right. And another in, another big one. Uh, Arizona travels uh, almost across the country to go play Chicago. Again, Chicago's got some issues to sort out on both the offensive and defensive side of the ball. Carson Palmer has started the season off right, but... In honor of both my family and this strange sort of notion that I, the Bears defense weren't as bad as what I thought they were, and Carson Palmer is not Aaron Rodgers, nor does he have the Green Bay Packers receiving core. Uh, I, I'm going to have to call a Bears win here. I think Matt Forte has a big game. Perhaps wow. Jay Cutler isn't as crap as what we all thought he was. He showed in week one that he's not as bad as what he started off last year. I think Bears pick up their first win here. I think that's a bad call, Sonny. I think uh, Arizona are going to make you regret it. Um, okay, let's go to uh, Falcons-Giants. Well, this is easy. Falcons are going to win. End of. Um, <laughs> I just think Matt Ryan's a better QB. Uh, I think that they will have 
a more successful day. They will have more of the ball. And uh, unless the Giants get a couple of miracle or remarkable plays, the Falcons will win. They'll be riding high off that win against the Eagles. Falcons to beat the Giants. And uh, Baltimore to beat Oakland. I don't really think there's any sort of question here. You know, Derek Carr is out with a concussion. Uh, You know, Amari Cooper doesn't really have anybody thrown to him anymore. And Latavius Murray failed to impress uh, in his opening game. Couple that with a crap defense. Even Joe Flacco can manage a win here. Oof. Well, yeah, well, hmm. maybe, maybe. Rams against Redskins. Easy for me. Rams are just like the Falcons. Rams are riding so high off that win against the Seahawks. Redskins are penalty ridden and all over the place. And as we said, as you said, doesn't matter how many cousins Kirk has, it's not going to get him out of a loop. So Rams to be the Redskins. Indeed, no matter how many cousins. And in the last game of my lot, the biggest of the big, a Super Bowl matchup between the Seattle Seahawks this is and the huge. Green Bay this is Packers. Huge. This is going to be the call of the week. If I get this one right, it was either on yeah. accident or extremely on accident. If, 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 if you get this right, I will buy you a beer. Ooh, and mail it to the States. I can't wait to taste <laughs> that flat, stumped beer. Mm. Pay, oh, and pay the four bajillion dollar taxes. <laughs> In, true. I think even skunk German beer is probably better than the best America has to offer. But before I'm slaughtered for that, I'm going to have to say... Green Bay here, just like it was in the Super Bowl. It's hard to go against the Seahawks, but at the same time, even though it's just sort of tough times for them whenever they travel to St. Louis, Russell Wilson, Marshawn Lynch, Richard Sherman, all of these big names in Seattle really haven't stepped up and shown what they're going to do this season in order to replicate last year's performance, and Green Bay has. So I think I'm going to have to go with the Packers here. I find it very easy to go against the Seahawks. You should try it sometime. It's wonderful. Mm, very um, true. I, I've had to call Baltimore, all right? I Trust me, yeah. it it's, it's hurts it's to the tough. core. <laughs> That's tough. My last one of the week is equally exciting, Cowboys-Eagles. Uh, I think this is a fascinating matchup. But I'm, you know what? This might be a little bit bold, but I'm going to go with the Cowboys. Um, I'm going to go with the Cowboys for two reasons. One, because I really don't think any confidence should be under, underestimated. You've come off a win, like the win against the Giants, against the Giants, but still, last-minute win, turnaround. They've got no Des Bryant, but they have got that confidence. They've got Tony Romo feeling like Superman. I think that's a huge difference. Second reason is they know everything there is to know about DeMarco Murray. They will shut him down. And as much as that's um, a problem for Philadelphia, I don't think... Sam Bradford is going to solve it on his own. I'm going to go Cowboys win. I uh, would have spoken sooner, but I've been left speechless by that final call of the preview section. <laughs> I've got to get back in the game. I'm 0-1. I'm 0-1. Indeed, indeed. Got to go a little bit, little bit on the balls again of things. So, in order to wrap up the first week one podcast of the 4th and 5 NFL podcast, we're going to get into our usual fun, you know what time it is, pros and cons. Pros and cons. And we've only got one this week, but it is indeed a good one. Hits hits good old Jonathan Harding close to home. Carlos Hyde versus Matt Forte. Hits me close to home, too, with the Bears. Who of the two has a bigger impact for their team this year in concerns with not only Oof. the numbers side of things in individual performance, but also how far each team goes in the playoffs. If they Ooh. make it. Well, I think we've got a better chance of making the playoffs than the Bears. I'll, I've said it. I, I think that's fair. To be honest, I, I think, think that's fair. I think that's fair. There, I, yeah, I think we're a little bit further ahead, uh, to be honest. Um, I would go 
I would go Carlos Hyde. I know that sounds really obvious, but and uh, you know, coming off the week one that he had, it sounds a little bit prejudiced. But I would really go there. Um, Mafote might put up more numbers. That's probably worth saying. I think he might put up more more numbers because he is in a one dimensional offense, whereas Carlos Hyde is not. But I would say uh, bigger impact, Carlos Hyde. You're coming. You're trying to fill a Frank Gore sized hole. Carlos Hyde has already shown in week one that he is ready to do that. The question now is, can he do it over the long term? I think so. Uh, and that's why bigger impact is Carlos Hyde. If you talk about bigger impact long term, Matt Forte's already had the bigger impact. So, you know, it's like he's already the impact. So I'm going to go with Carlos, my man, El Guapo. Well, and again, I think I'm going to have to disagree with you here. And not necessarily Oof. just Oof. with the loyalty side of things. But, Oof, didn't make it. but one thing I will say about the Chicago Bears, they have been unconvincing so far, even if it was against the Green Bay Packers. But whenever you look at it at a division where of the four teams, three of which have started off the season 0-1, it's, the division is up for, it's a bit of a toss-up right now. And if there's any single player other than Aaron Rodgers that has the ability to take a team from 0-1 to even if it's a wild card spot, the playoffs, you got you have to say it's Matt Forte. You know, wow, that's so big. I know, I know, but you know the Detroit Lions have shown that they are quality, but not the same quality that they were last year. The Minnesota Vikings have shown that Teddy Bridgewater is clean and tidy, but he still needs to develop as well as the rest of the team. Adrian Peterson has dropped off the face of the earth based on one week's performance. We'll see whether or not that works out for them. But Matt Forte, once again, shows that he is one of the best running backs in the league and truly the best player on the Chicago team. So if anyone's going to bring Chicago to the playoffs, it's going to be Matt Forte. And I think there's a good, solid chance of that this year. Well, I like the fact that we're on different sides of the line in this case. It, it hasn't happened very often, but I will say it feels good this time. I've supported my family's team. You've supported the crap San Francisco 49ers and Carlos oh, Hyde. What was that? What was that? <laughs> I don't know. Was I, it was a little bit of a mumble, I think. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And the final part of the show that I want to bring to everybody, just like always, since this is hosted by the Anfield Index and it, we, I, I know going into it that we have a lot of non-American listeners that may be new to the NFL, uh, you know, may watch their singular team and want to, you know, bridge that gap from sport to for, from sport to sport, excuse me, from soccer to football. So once again, <laughs> we've got team comparisons coming up for you, uh, Jonathan. What have you got for us this week? You know what? We actually spent quite a, a while considering, you know, who. Who to go with? And uh, I remember we were talking about it, it was sort of struggling for names. Um, and I, I, you know, when you talk about football back and forth, I'm not sure whether we, there were a couple of teams in Germany that were a bit more insulting. Um, but I'm going to go with the Raiders this time um, because, well, get them out of the way, basically. Um, <laughs> and it might seem a little bit weird, but Hertha Berlin. Now, I wrote a piece about Hertha Berlin recently. And um, it seems a little bit odd, but Hertha Berlin have got one of the top academies, top three academies really in Germany. and They've been promoting a lot of young players. Raiders have always tried to promote young players. They haven't necessarily always had a good defense, which is pretty much the case of Hertha. They've, they've got a couple of players who are exciting and young talents. You know, Mario Cooper, Derek Carr, 
same sort of thing in Hertha's side, you know, Valentin Stocker in, in midfield and maybe Derrida as well. Young talents, Nicholas Stark, they've just signed as well. So there are a couple of players on their team, sort of young talents coming through. But as a whole, they're fairly mediocre, occasionally prone to flashes of excitement, normally just one of those middle of the row, slightly disappointing teams. So, but with good academy and good young players, that sort of resonates, I think, with the Raiders. So, bit of a strange one, maybe a bit out of left field, but that's where I'm going to go. Well, and for those American listeners who may not pay uh, an, enough attention to the Bundesliga, which you know offers fantastic soccer across the pond, uh, one thing that I will have to say is for all of you U.S. men's national team fans or anyone who does enjoy the U.S. men's national team when they get the chance, good old John Brooks is from Hertha Berlin, and if you know if you ever want to catch him, you know, struggling in a side that's not the U.S. men's national team, then by golly, you can do it over in Berlin. Good point. Excellent point. Who are you going to go with? Uh, I'm actually going to talk about the Colts. Uh, and, and before I even make this uh, shout out, if if for some reason our living room full of listeners ever expands from six to seven, then my good friend Chad Coons will appreciate this one. Uh, the Indianapolis Colts, I think I'm going to go with a slightly more well-known Premier League team that is Arsenal. Ah. And the main reason that I'd like to do so is that over the course of, I mean, really since the Premier League era, and and more importantly, since 2000-ish, Arsenal have always been in and around the top four, and so too have the Colts ever since, uh, you know, uh, really the turn of the century. Um, You know, uh, in the past 15 years, they've only made the leap and actually won the Super Bowl once, but then again so too has Arsenal, only winning it back in, I believe it was the 03-04 season, um, with the, the, the unbeatables, the unbelievables. Uh, you know, Arsenal goes out and they, they, they win their one championship. Um, you know, so both these teams over the, the span of recent history have only got one big win, but they're always there. They're seemingly always there. And part of the That's reason, to a certain good extent, show. that they're always there is because They've got one guy who just can't quite seem to push them over the top. For the Colts, of course, maybe he may not be there anymore, but Peyton Manning, in his entire career, only the one. And that was with the Colts. And again, mm, that's a good point. with Arsene Wenger over at Arsenal, he gets his big one right after he comes over uh, from France. Uh, you know, prior to coming to Arsenal, he was, uh, you know, the, the manager of AS Monaco and he comes over to Arsenal and he gets his big win and it's been years ever since. So these two teams ever present, always playing well, always seem to have it together. And then somehow by season's end, fall short. No, I think nice comparison. Nice comparison. Mm-hmm. Not sure how the Arsenal fans will take it, but you know what? If we're going to predict the Colts to win the Super Bowl this year, then maybe they'll be delighted. Right, right, <laughs> absolutely. Even after a poor start, which also Arsenal have had. Oh, there you go. Oh, no, 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 no. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Fourth and Five NFL podcast. First, an exciting week means an exciting season, and week two should show us no less. Than what we than what we've expected since week one. Number two, again to our living room full of listeners slash focus group. We appreciate you guys coming out and supporting us. And third, the Colts turn over the ball three times and make John and I look like utter fools. This has been the fourth and five NFL podcast. That's Jonathan Harding. That's Dylan Baker. And that's the game. End of the game. Oh, holding eighty-eight. The ball did not cross the goal line. The kick is. Wide. Unbelievable, Jeff. And wide again. His <laughs> name's Josh Scobie. No! Nice. Nice.
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.